Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Prediction Murder, Season 5, Episode 7, first aired January 1st, 1989, and the IMDb summary reads, Lee Goddard successfully coaxes Jessica to join him at his ranch in Arizona, but intrigue and murder follow them there when a mysterious psychic joins them. Yeah, so there's that. Okay. <laughs> so this really is like kind of a part two to last week's The Last Flight of the Dixie Damsel because we have Lee Goddard following through to this episode. And we see a spark between him and Jessica, but unfortunately, it doesn't start a fire. Anyway, so let's get to the trivia. There are two. The auto crash sequence was filmed in miniature. The auto was a duplicate of the Chrysler Hero car. So interesting, right? (laughs) So a combination of stock footage and the use of miniatures. I love it. And the second piece of trivia is that the title is a variation of Prescription Murder, 1968, written by Richard Levinson and William Link, who co-created Murder, She Wrote. Now, another piece of (laughs) trivia that I just figured out is that those of us who are fans of Hallmark Movies and Mysteries and their original series, there is a series called Ruby Herring, Red Herring. You get it? Got it. Cool. And one of the movies is titled Prediction Murder. It doesn't have the colon though. It's just Prediction Murder. And it also involves a psychic. Now, the person who is murdered is different. Okay, so it's not that the psychic doesn't get murdered, the psychic doesn't solve the murder in both of them. So different storylines, but both prediction murder involving a psychic. Just a a little interesting tidbit. If you win a pub quiz because of that, please let me know. Okay. (laughs) Now we don't have any returners this time. However, there are a few actors that we will see in later episodes and we'll get to those when we see them reappear. Now let's get into the cast. So we have Catherine Aaron, Francesco, Ben Aaron, Catherine's husband, Jill and Del and Lee Goddard. Jill and Del are husband and wife. Lieutenant Turner, Roy Parks, and Greta Olson. So let's get into this episode. So we start out with Lee flying Jessica to Arizona. So they were, well, actually, I think he's flying her specifically from Tucson to wherever his ranch is located. Because remember, at the end of last episode, he says, I booked us a flight to Tucson. So I believe that his private plane, not like the decked out jets, G6s and all of that. 
Uh, it's uh, perhaps a single engine plane. I don't know planes, but we'll say single engine plane, which he probably has at a hangar in Tucson and flew Jessica to his ranch, which is like straight baller because he's like, I'll fly you. I'll take you on a tour of this area of Arizona in my plane. Okay, he was in the Air Force. And remember, he's the one who flew the Dixie Damsel the night of the storm and then flew the Dixie Damsel from Alaska to California. So he he still got those Air Force skills. Okay, but Jessica is like, (laughs) um, can we just get to our location? This is a little a little much for me. Not for nothing. It's a small plane. It's very personal. She's literally in the cockpit because that's all that there is. And she and Lee is just like, oh, and look at that. We can get a little bit closer. She's like, no, we're good here. We're we're good here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is interesting because of course it's kind of, it's a different universe in the novel series, but in that. Jessica frequently flies on a single or twin engine plane from Cabot Cove to Boston so that she can catch flights out of Boston. So a bit of a different universe between the novels and the TV series. Now, if you would like reviews of the book series, join my Patreon. If you haven't, get into it, okay? Anyway, back to the episode. So we get to the house finally. He lands the plane. They get into his car and drive up to the house where Jessica is introduced to Greta. And we find out that Greta is from Sweden, question mark, and that she has to go home because her working permit is about to expire. So she has to go back home, reapply, and then she can come back to the States. We also find out that she only has a cousin who lives somewhere else in her home country. And she's like, I don't really, I don't really know him like that, like that. So it's not really a trip to go back and see family. It's literally to go back get my working permit situated and come back here. There's nothing left for me there is basically what she's saying. So Greta then takes Jessica's bags up to her room because she is the house attendant maid, assistant, I don't know. She's like, it's my job. So, okay. And at this point, Jessica meets Jill. Now, Jill is doing the most. Okay. They told her that you were, you're going to be into the, you know, astrology, uh, astro projection, that type of stuff. And she took that direction and was like, I am going to do the most. Okay. Not only is she wearing like a flowy dress situation, She looks like there's a light surrounding her and that she is floating on air. Like, honestly, they work this camera work. They work this lighting, okay? And she's like, oh my gosh, you have such a beautiful aura. And Jessica literally, like, looks around herself. 
<laughs> like what what is she talking about is she talking to me <laughs> but always the polite person Jessica's like ah nice to meet you and Jill says oh you are exactly as Lee described strong but delicate intelligent but also emotional and so Lee is uncomfortable because Jill is revealing his feelings for Jessica and he has not had an opportunity to work up to discussing that. And the fact that she says, Jill says, I can see he is deeply taken by you. And Lee is pissed and Jill catches that. He throws it, she catches it. She's like, oh, hey, mm, listen, I have to go meditate and get my ectoplasmic spirit in line. Girl, what? They really were like, watch some Ghostbusters. (laughs) And the movie Ghosts, I don't know if they're out by this point, but yeah. And Ghostbusters definitely is. But Ghost, the movie, maybe maybe it's not out yet, but... Go and and watch similar movies to that um, because that's what I need you to do. Ectoplasmic spirit? Are you serious? Okay, maybe maybe that's correct. Maybe that's a thing. Um, I'm I'm not sure. That's outside of my uh, wheelhouse, as it were. So Jill scurries off, and Lee is not happy because he has not been able to sit down and have a conversation with Jessica about how he feels about her and see how she feels about him. And Jessica is clearly like uncomfortable in the sense that they have not had that conversation and worked these out. And she's finding out from a third party that Lee is very taken by her. At this point, Dell comes in and Jessica is like, the last time she saw him, he hadn't began to shave. So we're we're talking decades, okay? Because Homeboy is clearly 35 years old. So like, assuming that he started to shave at 16, we'll say maybe he was a late bloomer, so 18. Yeah, it's been decades, but <laughs> well, we understand that, right? Because... Lee and Betty, his wife, now deceased, they lived in Arizona and Jessica and Frank lived in Maine. So I guess once they were all out of the Air Force, they didn't really. And we have Clint and his wife. They live in Seattle, Washington State. So... They went on, they lived their lives, they built their communities and didn't stay in contact like Jessica seems to do with every other friend she has, question mark. So Dell is excited to see her and Lee is like, hey, hey, Dell, hey, my boy, um, did you fix the fence? And Dell says, I took care of it. And Lee it doesn't necessarily believe this, but he's trying to teach Dell responsibility. So if he said that he took care of it, he is going to let that stand. 
Now, Dell asked Lee if he told Jessica about the party tonight. And Lee says, well, it was Dell's idea. And says, you know, Jessica, since you're staying here, you know, come join us. And of course, Jessica has an appropriate outfit for this. <laughs> okay. Please explain to me how at the last minute, Jessica flew to California in the last episode to see what was going on with the Dixie Damsel, right? Howsoever, when she's whisked away from California straight to Arizona, she just happens to have an outfit appropriate for this birthday dinner or anniversary dinner, whatever it is, some whatever celebration Dell was having for Jill or for them, I guess it might have been their anniversary, that she had an outfit appropriate for it. Like who packs like that? <laughs> she literally had one large suitcase and you're telling me she had clothes for California and happened to have appropriate clothes for Tucson, Arizona. And when I say appropriate clothes, like she has like this Southwestern outfit, you know, like style going on throughout this episode, which is very different than the more formal business, business casual that she was wearing at the Air Force Base in California. Make it make sense. (laughs) You just happen to pack appropriate stuff. Like even if you were planning to go to dinner with the remaining crew of the Dixie Damsel and their significant others, still like the outfit that she had on at Dell and Jill's party was way fancier than any place that was around that Air Force base that they would have eaten at. So yeah, yeah, okay. Maybe she was hoping Lee, uh, having known that his wife passed away, maybe she was hoping Lee would invite her to Arizona, you know, that there may be an occasion for her to get a little dressed up. I, I don't know, I don't know. But... Lee is like, uh, well, I hope you know your Zodiac sign. And Jessica says, I know it. Why? And (laughs) Lee is like, that's all these people care about. And as soon as we get to the party in the next scene, Catherine is talking about her Zodiac sign, birth sign, and her husband's. (laughs) Jessica's like, oh, I see what he was talking about. And so Catherine is like, oh, don't mind Ben, her husband. He just lost some major client and he says that money is tight, okay? But I blame his, you know, birth sign or whatever. And so (laughs) Catherine, well, Ben then walks off and Del comes over to speak with Catherine and they walk off. So we see in the corner Dell being fed by Catherine. Now, the level of disrespect that Catherine has for her husband is outrageous. Okay. My question is well, no, I know why she married him. 
but he must, Ben must have had much more money because Ben is clearly older than Catherine. It's clear. Obviously, one of two things happened. One, Dell ran off to the city and they lost contact and she figured that they would never get together because they were, you know, an item, I guess, in high school or whatnot. They've known each other probably their entire lives, right? So Dell probably went to college, ran off, was making money in the city and, um, well, in a different state. I believe he was in Chicago. Yeah, he was in Chicago, Illinois. So he was in a different state in a big city, left her behind. So she had to make her way and she decided to marry an older man who had a lot of money. Then Dell comes back, but he has a whole wife with him. Still, Catherine, there is no way in this world that you're going to come into my house or my father-in-law's house in this case, where I stay with my husband at a party my husband threw for us and that you're feeding him. I We would have to fight. Like, I don't understand like how this is okay. Because if I saw this at a friend's house, I would first approach and like, hey, I don't understand why you think this is appropriate because it's extremely disrespectful to your wife and to your husband. We can all see you, okay? Like, I don't, I don't know if you didn't realize we can all see you and it's embarrassing, okay? Are you not embarrassed? Like, <laughs> how disrespectful in their house, like in the house that they stay at, this woman, his best friend, while her husband is there, while his wife is there as the celebrant, you're over there feeding him? Oh, no. Mm-mm. No. Someone would be getting kicked out of the house. Possibly two people. Possibly two. I don't care if this is your daddy's house. Both of y'all got to get out of here. How are you going to embarrass me in the place I live? I don't care if I'm into astrology. I don't care if I'm into ectoplasmic spirits and beliefs and stuff like that, what you're not going to do is disrespect me in my own home. Okay. In my own home, in front of our friends and family. Oh no, no. Violence is not the answer, but you surely could have kicked them people out the house. There would have been a scene, smoke in the city scene. Okay. (laughs) No unacceptable, disrespectful. Anyway, so Roy comes in. He is one of the managers of the ranch. Like he's like the number two guy. Well, before Adele came back, he was hand in hand with Lee for the past 10 years, building up this ranch to where it is now. But when Dell came in, you know, that changed a bit. But Roy, who wasn't invited to the party, which is like, what's up with that? Okay. Anyway, we find out from Roy that 10 cattle escaped through the broken fence. And Lee was like, Dell said he fixed it. And Roy says, well, I would have fixed it. But Dell said he wanted to fix it himself. So yeah. Obviously, he didn't do it right or didn't do it at all and lied to you. Either way, 
there are 10 cattle out in these streets. Do you want me to go get them? You know, like round up the the farmhands and go get him, get them. And Lee says, no, they'll wait. And Roy is like, well, there's no telling where they'll be by daybreak. You know, this is the middle of the evening. And Lee says, I said, they'll wait. And he then walks off. So Roy is like, whatever. Like, I don't know what your deal is. Honestly, what Lee should have done at this point was pull Dell to the side and been like, um, you said you fixed the fence. There are now 10 cattle out in these streets. What you're going to do is you're going to go out there. You're going to round up the, the cattle men and you're going to get them. I don't care if you, this is your party. There is millions of dollars of cattle out in these streets. They could get hit by a car. They can fall off a cliff. They could break their leg. You know, anything can happen. Who knows if any of them are pregnant and then they had a baby and all of this stuff, right? So the calf, not the baby, the calf, but you know what I mean. But he doesn't. He goes back to the party pissed. And Roy, I'm sure he's struggling because he only wants the best for the ranch. And he sees that Dell is a problem and Lee may or may not see Dell as a problem. But even if he does, he's not doing anything about it. And Roy is like, this is my livelihood, you know? And I take pride in my work, but you're allowing the prodigal son of yours to come back in here. And unlike in the Bible, when the prodigal son came back and did what he was supposed to do and earned his, you know, was willing to, you know, work in the the muck in the mire, you know, and didn't assume that he would take his rightful place again. But you come in, you got this job and you're not even doing it. Roy is trying to teach you and you're not even trying to learn because you failed at whatever job you had originally. And we'll find out what that is in, in, in a minute. But you had to come home with a whole wife and you're disrespecting your, your wife in my home. You're not doing what you're supposed to do to as an heir to this ranch. Like I would listen, homeboy, if his wife, if Jill ain't put Dell out, Lee should have put Dell out because this is outrageous. You out here trying to be big man on campus and you ain't doing what you're supposed to do. And I'm about, and there's 10 cattle just on these streets. No, we would have had a conversation immediately. I don't care if you, this is your party. This is not my party. My, and the reason that you're able to afford this party in my house is because of those cattle that are roaming the streets. Anyway, so Ben comes up to Lee while Lee is trying to figure out what he should do, even though I said he should have confronted Dell on the side and made him go out in those streets and round up that cattle. And Ben is like, hey, when are you going to stop by to create a new will? And Lee is like, why would I create a new will? And Ben is like, well, you have a new member of the family. And I'm sure there are going to be little ones coming along soon. Grandchildren, right? 
And before Lee can say anything, we hear a helicopter. And Del runs out. Everyone's like trying to go out on the porch and in the backyard. And he hustles everyone inside and says that he has a surprise for Jill. Now, he has hired Francesco, who is a psychic that they saw perform in San Francisco. Now, in all truth, he would have been better off hiring Caliastro. Okay. <laughs> but Caliastro is dead. So um, there's that. This did happen after Caliastro was murdered, but like he would have been the preferable performer to this Francesco guy. Okay. No disrespect to the actor, David Burney, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> so during the psychic show of Francesco, he he stops at Jessica and he says, um, you know, you, you're a woman with secrets or whatever, however he puts it. And he was like, do the initials JB mean anything to you? And then he says, Jessica Beatrice. And he's like, she says, that's no secret. Clearly it's on my books. Okay, sir, that's not a secret. And so he then says, well, the locket you wear next to your heart with a picture of your husband, Frank, is that a secret? And you can see that it's true, right? And Jessica is like, well, not anymore. And so there, there's laughs going around or giggles or whatnot. And then Francesco goes to Catherine and he looks at the ring that she has and he's like, oh, this is beautiful. It's an heirloom. It's from your mother. And so she's like, yes, it is. And he says, you got it at on your 17th birthday. And she said, no, your 18th birthday. And she says 17 and a half. And he's like, oh, close enough. He says, well, when you lose it next January, look under the driver's seat of your Porsche. And Catherine was like, I don't own a Porsche. I drive a Toyota. And Francesco says, well, what, whatever happens at Christmas between you and Santa, that's on you. And so Catherine turns to look at Ben, who's sitting next to her, and he folds his arms. He is pissed. Okay, clearly he is going to give her a Porsche for Christmas. And it was supposed to be a surprise. And probably use that whole like, oh, money is tight. So she wouldn't expect an extravagant gift as he was planning to give her. But I'm like, don't give her no poor. She out here just really all feeling up on Dell and disrespecting you in your face. But whatever, whatever. So <laughs> then Francesco is like, I sense a true believer. And he goes over to Jill. I'm like, clearly, I, if I walked in a room, I'm like, oh, she believe. <laughs> oh, she's a believer. I would know. I would know. Even as someone who's not part of that community, the psychic community and all that comes with that. Still, like anyone walking in the room who's like asked, who do you think believes in psychics and, and all that comes with that and perhaps ectoplasmic spirits and perhaps uh, astrology to the point that 
they base their decisions and who they deal with completely on that. Who do you think is that person in this room? Everybody would be like, Jill. Yeah, her. The redhead with the curly hair. Uh Uh-huh, her. Okay, it's obvious that she's a true believer. And so Francesco makes three predictions. He says that she'll feel a constriction, a choking, but it's easily solved by a friend. So you're at peace. Then he sees a carousel and you fall, but you're okay. You're okay. You're back at peace. And then he is still holding her hand and then he screams, no, and runs out, right? And Del runs after him. He's like, what was that all about? And so Francesco turns and he's like, I felt the flames, death in the fire, the all consuming fire. And Del is like, yo, that's, he doesn't say this, but this is what he, I ain't pay for all of this. Okay, you can't be telling my wife she about to die in a fire. Okay, so everybody goes back inside and they leave Francesco outside. So the next day, Jessica is in the kitchen. Jill comes in and we find out that when Jill saw Francesco's show in San Francisco, that he said that she would meet a woman from the East who will influence her life and she's like he had to have been talking about you and Jessica's like that's a coincidence (laughs) like girl okay I think you're making that up just now to fit the circumstances but okay girl I'm gonna need to hear that from Dell okay if Dell say it it's still a coincidence but I feel more confident that it wasn't just made up for my benefit And Jill is like, I have to talk to him. I have to talk to Francesco. And then she proceeds to choke on a piece of toast. And Jessica gives her the Heimlich maneuver and the toast pops out. And Jessica has yelled for Del and Lee. And as they walk in, Jill has now coughed up the toast and she's breathing heavily, but she's okay. And so she's like, Francesco said it. He said, in a moment of joy, next there would be tightness and then constriction and then easily solved by a friend. That's exactly what happened. I was choking on the toast and Jessica saved me. I I have to talk to him. I have to talk to him. So the next scene, we're outside by the stables. And despite almost choking to death, Jill thinks it's a great idea to go and ride her horse. So she asked Roy to saddle up her horse. And Roy is like, listen, you know that the horse has been spooky lately, you know, easily spooked, I guess. And Jill says, well, if you won't do it, I'll do it myself. And she goes to pick up the saddle and Roy is like, fine, fine. And so Del comes up and he's like, are you sure you want to go out on this horse? And Jill is like, yes. And so Del being concerned about his wife who just had a very scary situation just happen. And he's like, well, I'll go with you then. And Jill says, no, I know you guys are all laughing at me. And you know what? I just need to be alone. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of everyone laughing at me. And granted, 
everybody was like Dell. Let's be real. Definitely your father. Jessica wasn't laughing at her. She was just confused about whatever world Jill is living in, but trying to be respectful that different people are different. And, you know, Dell lets her go. Now, Jill goes riding off very aggressively, however. So the next scene, Lee and Jessica are talking and Lee is like, yeah, aren't you tired of being single? Because I am, okay? And Jessica's like, well, um, yeah, well, uh, uh. so uh, this is um, uncomfortable. So at this point, Jessica is saved by seeing a horse running along the ranch. And she says, look at that. And Lee's like, oh my God, that's Jill's horse. So Lee and Jessica, or should I say they're stunt doubles, saddle up on a carriage, a horse-drawn carriage, but not a romantic one, like one for working a ranch. And they find Jill on the ground, knocked out. And they bring her into the house. She's now conscious. And she's like, Francisco predicted this. Two of his predictions of the three came true. The choking on the toast and the carousel, which could have been the horse, her falling, but being saved. The third one was that she died in a fire and she's scared to death. And she's like, I need to see Francesco. Okay. And Dell is like, well, he left. And Jill is hysterical. She's like, find him. I must know everything about the fire so I can try to avoid it. So the next scene, we have Dell calling Francesco's manager. And he's claiming not to know where Francesco is. So Dell is like, however much it costs, you better find him. I need him here immediately. So the next scene, we're outside. Jill is planning to leave for the day. She's going out. And Lee apologizes for laughing at her or making her feel that disrespected. Making her feel disrespected. And Jill is like, I understand. I feel the goodness in you. You know, so... I I understand that you did not mean it to be offensive, that you just don't understand. And I can respect that. And so Jill is like, well, I'm going to visit Catherine. And so Lee is like, well, do you need me to drive? Again, she has had two traumatic situations in basically the same day. And she's like, no, I'll be back by 6 p.m. Please tell Dell that I'm going to see Catherine and I'll be back. And she drives off. Jessica then comes out of the house and we find out that she is flying back to Maine tomorrow. And Lee is like, I moved too fast, didn't I? I assumed too much. And Jessica says, no, the fact is that after Frank died, to this day, I had never thought about getting into another relationship. And Lee is like, listen, I would never want to force a sale on anyone. But, you know, can we leave the lines open to be friends? And Jessica says, yes. 
So that evening, Francesco arrives, just pops out of the air. And Dell is like, oh, so your manager got in contact with you. And he says, no, he didn't. But I heard a voice and I knew that I was being summoned, that there was great danger to befall Jill. And so, you know, everybody's eyes roll and they're like, fine, whatever. She needed to speak with you. Get in here. And Francesco was like, I just hope it's not too late. So they're all sitting there waiting for Jill to come back. It's not yet 6 p.m. And then it is 6 p.m. And she's still not back. And then Catherine drives up. And so they're like, oh, Jill's not with you. And she's like, I haven't seen Jill at all today. And they're like, well, she said she came to see you, that she was going to to your house. And she left at 2 p.m. to do that. And Catherine's like, well, she I don't know why she would have said that because she surely didn't come see me. So, of course, now everyone is uh, scared, upset, confused. She's been gone for four plus hours and she did not get to her destination. So they go on a search for her. Now, it's dark outside. They have this giant lantern light flashlight situation. And Lee and Dell are in the same car. Dell is yelling out for her. And apparently Roy was in a separate car also looking for her. They come back empty handed. Now, while they're out on this search in the house, you have Catherine, Francesco and Jessica. And Catherine is like to Francesco, you should have went there You should have went with them to help them. You're a psychic. Like you could give them direction. And Francesco is like, I told you she's not out there. And Jessica is like, well, then where is she? Psychic, sir? Uh, Divine something? I don't know what you do, but tell us where she's at. You're the one who predicted, you know, great danger. And Francesco is like, I don't know, you know. And Catherine has been on the phone and she's like, I can't get in contact with Ben. So then the men return without having any luck finding Jill. So Dell, of course, confronts Francesco and is like, what's the deal? Where is my wife? Like, what do you know? Tell us, tell us, tell us. You're whatever. So the phone rings. And it's a ransom demand. They want $1 million for the release of Jill. And they want it in small unmarked bills by 6 a.m. at a cabin that is familiar, apparently, to Dell and Lee. So there, everyone's like, how are we supposed to get in, get that type of money? It's like a Saturday night. Okay, how are we supposed to get this money overnight? And the banks are closed tomorrow as well. So Lee is like, well, I have that much in the safe in the office, but not too many people know about that. Suspicious. So Jessica is like, all right, that's cool. Glad you have the money, but we need to notify the police, right? And Catherine's like, no, you heard what he said. The voice on the phone that is. And Jessica is like, well... In my experience, there's a better chance if the authorities are involved early. And Lee says, we can't take that chance. We will call the police once we have Jill back safely. Lee then proceeds to call Roy and is like, 
I need you to load up the truck, two shotguns, and ammo. We're heading to Tucson. I'm like, yo, he about to ride out, but he's going to get the million dollars and he needs to make sure that they're protected going. And then once they're traveling back with the money. But I'm like, he, Roy is a do or die. Because he called him at like seven o'clock. He probably finished dinner, cleaning the dishes or whatnot, chilling with his family. And he gets this call from his boss and he's like, all right, let's ride out. I will grab the shotguns. Okay. (laughs) Like, whoa. So the next morning, Dell has gone to drop off the money at the cabin location that was provided by the kidnappers. And Lee is like, well, Dell knows the cabin well, so I'm not concerned about him getting lost or not being able to make the drop. And Jessica says, well, that's strange that the kidnappers chose a location that you guys knew so well and knew also the fact that they knew that you could get access to that all that money in the middle of the night, which does pique Lee's interest and concern, but he's focused on, I don't care about that money. I just want Jill to be back safe because she's another human being. And in addition to that, my son loves her and she is my daughter-in-law. So for many reasons, I just need to focus on getting that money to them and Jill being released. So the next scene, Dell returns after having dropped off the money. And while they're outside, the phone rings and Francesco, who does not live there, but whatever, picks up the phone and it's Jill. So Jill says she's okay. And she's at Wally's gas station. I don't know if she said that, but we see that on camera. And Dell is like, okay, let me know where you are and I'll come pick you up. And Jill is like, I don't know where I am but they left the car with the keys in it. This road has to lead to somewhere. I'll be fine. So they're like, okay, we'll see you soon. He hangs up the phone. He's like, she's heading home. She's safe. Well, what we see is the car drive off the cliff. And we then see Lieutenant Turner. We learn out, we learn his name is Turner. Lieutenant Turner calling this in from 12 miles south of Wally's gas station. They ran the plate and it leads them back to Lee's ranch because the car is, and the person who was in it was burned beyond recognition. Now, just taking a step back about this scene. So you're going to tell me, Right, because this is how you know it's a setup. This is how you know right here, right here, that is something fishy going on because you were just kidnapped, okay? And the kidnappers left you a car and the keys. How did they leave the scene, right? How did they leave the scene? Did you see what direction they went in? Do you have a license? Why would they leave you where you could identify them, that doesn't make any sense. But okay, fine. Let's say they had you blindfolded and they were like, don't take the blindfold off for 20 minutes. And you paid attention and you didn't, you know, because you didn't know if somebody 
was going to be standing there when you took it off in, in two seconds. So, okay. But they left you with a car and keys. And apparently you had change to call, because you didn't call collect. You had change to call on the pay phone. So they left you with access to call somebody. Okay. But you didn't know where you were. And you were literally at a gas station that has a name. And it appears to be a somewhat active one because when the lieutenant called and said, we're 12 miles from Wally's, from Wally's, the dispatcher knew what he was talking about. So it's not an abandoned gas station in the sense that nobody knows, it's in the middle of nowhere and nobody knows where the heck that is in the world. She could have... If this wasn't suspicious, she easily could have been like, I'm at Wally's gas station. We already know that Dell, having grown up in this area, and Lee, both are well traveled in that area. And they know the area like the back of their hands because they knew the cabin and whatever. So if she would have said, I'm at Wally's gas station, Okay, he would have known where she was. He would have known what road that was and like, I'm on my way, okay? And for him to just be like, oh, okay, well, be safe, that's not acceptable. I'd be like, girl, I understand that, you know, Mercury may be in retrograde right now and you're confused and you've been traumatized on this plane and any other plane that you exist on, okay? I understand that. This is traumatic. But what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to tell me where the hell you are. Okay, look around. Are there any landmarks? Oh, hey, you're on a payphone. Where's the payphone? What's the payphone number? What What is the payphone attached to? He didn't ask any of these questions. Clearly, he don't like this lady. Clearly, you don't like this lady. Because even Lee would have asked her questions like, no, you are not, we're not going to leave you alone. Okay. I paid $1 million for your safe return. You're going to get back here safely. Me and Roy and Dell are going to ride out. Where are you? Okay. Are you able to see? What do you see? Oh, you're at a gas station. What's the name of the gas station? Is there anybody in the gas station? Does it appear to be abandoned? You know, like something. Is there a newspaper stand in the front of it? What's the date on the newspaper? Something. No. He's just like, oh, okay, we'll see you when you get here. Okay. I can't. I really can't. Dell ain't got the sense God gave him. They shouldn't have let him speak to her on the phone. They should have let Lee speak with her. They should have let Jessica speak with her. Somebody who got sense. He ain't got no sense and he don't care about that lady. You cannot tell me that you have any feelings for this human being, period. If you did not say, it is not safe for you who've just been kidnapped. You fell off a horse. You might have a concussion. Did nobody take her to nobody's hospital? Okay, she could have a whole concussion. You almost choked to death on a piece of toast. And you telling me that you are in a condition after all of this to safely drive here when you have no idea where you are. And you didn't ask any follow-up questions. She was at a gas station. She was at a gas station that had a name. And she did not tell you that? 
She didn't. Mm. Okay. Okay. Didn't. Mm. Fishy, suspicious, no common sense. That all of that ended up with this situation and this car driving off and flipping on down the hill and then bursting into flames. Cause that's how that happens all of the time. But okay. Miniatures and stock footage. Remember that. So the next scene, Dell and Lee return from having gone to the scene or identified the body, something to that effect. And Lee tells Jessica that the body was burned beyond recognition. However, there the wedding ring that she was wearing and a watch that Dell had given to Jill survived the fire. Which is also suspicious. It it done burnt that car all the way up. But your ring? I don't know what type of metal it was. Maybe the maybe whatever the car was, the metal that the ring and the watch, the glass didn't break. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Okay. It survived. It survived the fire somehow, some way. Okay. No, no one just threw it in there after it blew up, but okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So the next scene, Jessica finds Francesco in Jill's room. Now, I don't know if this is just Jill's room or if this is the room that she shares with Dell. I don't know if they have their own bedrooms that they retire to at night. I don't know what it is, but he is in the bedroom in the drawer. And Jessica's like, can I help you? And Francesco is like, I was trying to find a personal item to see if I could communicate with Jill to find out what happened. And Jessica is like, "Mm, I think we should leave that to the police. Law enforcement, detectives, investigators, forensic scientists. I think we need to leave it to them. Crime scene, investigators, that, yeah. And Francesco is like, you're skeptical. And Jessica is like, listen, we are all involved in this investigation. And that book could be evidence. So I'm going to need you and your psychic powers to realize that we don't want to mess up the investigation and cause a murderer to go free. So I'm going to need you to put that back where you found it and get out of here. So as Francesco is walking out of the room, having returned the book to the drawer, he's like, I don't know if you believe it. I don't. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, but I am actually trying to help. And he's like, actually, I can't stay much longer. My wife has tickets for us to go to Hong Kong on Wednesday. And Jessica says, well, the police may have other plans. There was a kidnapping and Jill is dead as you predicted. So assuming this is Sunday at this point, Yeah, assuming this is Sunday at this point or Monday at the very latest, he's only going to be there for a few more days. And this police investigation ain't going to be wrapped up that quick. Now, Jessica is going to find the murderer that quick. But um, regular police procedures, proper police procedures are not going to be done in two days, two, three days, sir. So the next scene Lee is in the house speaking with Lieutenant Turner. 
And Lieutenant Turner reveals that Jill died from the crash, not the fire, the subsequent fire. That the medical records confirm her identity. And now the mer- the medical records that were used to identify her were actually dental records. So keep that in mind. Dental records. Got it. So Lee says, this is just unfair. We paid the money and she's still dead. And the lieutenant is like, well, her death wasn't an accident. And Lee is like, well, you just said that she died from the crash. And so the lieutenant is like, yes, she did. But there are no skid marks. And we sent the vehicle for a mechanical testing to see if there were any mechanical failures, and there were not. So Jessica says, you're saying that someone tampered with the brakes? And Lieutenant Turner says, yes. There's a man here who predicted her death by fire. Um, Can I please speak to him? And Jessica is like, yes, that's Francesco. He's a professional entertainer. And the lieutenant is like, he was hired by your son. He says that to Lee. I'd like to talk to him. And Jessica says, well, Francesco left a half an hour ago by car. And the lieutenant asks for where Dell is. And Lee's like, I'm sure he's making funeral arrangements. So he's probably at the local funeral parlor. Next scene, we're at the funeral parlor and Catherine is there with Dell. And Dell comes out and he says that cremation seems to make the most sense Yes. Yes, it does. Unfortunately, in this situation. Yeah. And so Catherine then begins to hug Dell and like pet his head and like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. A very uh, romantic partner sort of consoling. She is just loving it. Like the look on her face is just like, this is what I wanted to be wrapped in his arms. Screw his dead wife. I want to be wrapped in his arms, running my fingers through his luscious black hair. You know, I don't care that we're at a funeral parlor. However, I can get it, boo. However, I can get this affection. I'm going to get it. Spoiler, Catherine is not the murderer. Okay, she's not the murderer, but... Very good red herring situation. So as she is in pure ecstasy, okay, hugged up on this man, he is devastated to a degree. Because I told you, he ain't like Jill. For real, for real, he ain't like her too much. And he kind of glad she did. Let's be 100% honest. He's like, this is terrible. But that solves my problem because I don't have to divorce her. Great. And I get to feel up on Catherine. Double great. So Ben is standing in the funeral parlor looking at them, hugged up. Okay. Catherine sees him and is like, oh, hey, Ben. Hi. Hum. How are you doing? Where have you been? I haven't been able to get in contact with you. And he's like, we had trouble with a client. I had to fly out to deal with him. I'm back now. And then proceeds to speak with Dell, like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't here for you. He gives him a hug and he got a side eye for Dell too because he was hugged up on his wife. 
Now, Dell is grieving, but he he was hugged up on Catherine. Okay, he he was given what he was getting. You know what I mean? He was it, it was a little too comfortable for him to be distraught and her to be comforting him. No. An excuse. Another spoiler, Dell did not murder Jill either. So, although that would have been Great. I think that's something they do in another episode or two. So don't worry. That plot point, plot line situation is coming to a theater near you. So so we're back outside with Lee and Jessica. And Jessica says, did you notice anything strange about the voice on the ransom demand call? And Lee says, yeah, it seemed disguised. Is that what you mean? And Jessica says, yes, but also there was no give and take. It appeared to be, it wasn't conversational. It seemed like it was pre-recorded. And Lee was like, right. Well, that means that it could have been Francesco. And Jessica says, well, that also means that it could have been Dell, you know, Both of us could see that Jill and Dell were pursuing a marriage with no future. And I've only been here for like 36 hours. And I, as soon as I laid eyes on homegirl, I knew this wasn't for Dell. And Dell wasn't for her. Okay. (laughs) So we find out from Lee the origin story of this marriage. And he says, a year ago, a little more than one year year ago, 365 days ago, Dell was working at an ad agency in Chicago when he met met Jill, who was a model at the time. And she does have a unique look. So I'll, I'll give her that. Like she's not an ugly woman. She has a unique look. So she definitely could be getting work in Chicago as a model. I'd believe it. I'd believe it. And a few months later, after they got together, he lost his job and returned home, having married Jill sometime in those few months. And he, he was like, he came home with his tail between his legs and an airhead for a wife. Now, Lee was okay with him being married. He thought that Jill and, you know, like being a husband would calm him down and bring him into reality and cause him to grow up and mature. But then he met Jill and he was like, oh my God, well, that that's not what I meant. <laughs> that's not who I meant. She ain't gonna help him, none. So we also find out that Roy has been there since the beginning. In the last 10 years, he and Lee, Roy and Lee, had made this ranch into the success that it is. I'm assuming that Lee was in the military until 10 years ago when he could and then retired. So he then spent that time putting effort into the ranch because he clearly had to live in that area. Now, he might not have owned that ranch, but they definitely lived in that area because Dell said, well, Lee said that Dell knew that cabin because he would take him up there every hunting season so that he could learn how to hunt and that he could hunt. So this was an area that they were very familiar with. But again, we don't know 
before those 10 years, whether Lee owned this ranch or any part of it or just lived in the area. And so the next scene, we're at the precinct and the lieutenant is interrogating Francesco and it's like, oh, is that your real name? Is that your first name? Your last name? Um, how about Leonard Stegler? Okay. Does that ring a bell? And he shows him a picture, which is clearly not a mugshot and it's clearly the actor's headshot. Like clearly it's a professional photo. Okay. <laughs> which I love when they do that. I love it. And he, the Lieutenant is like, you've been arrested nine previous times. And Francesco is like, I've ne- none of them went to trial. I've never been convicted. And so the lieutenant then goes to the predictions and Francesco is like, I do have a gift. However, those predictions for Jill, that was Dell's idea. When I get paid, I do what I'm told. So the next scene, we're at back at the house and the lieutenant is speaking with Dell. Jessica and Lee are in the room as well. And the lieutenant is like, so you're telling me that you didn't tell Francesco to predict your wife's death by fire? To which Dell is like, no, absolutely not. And Jessica asks, well, what did you tell him? And Dell is going to be like, oh, I don't remember. Sir, I'm going to need you to remember. So Lee, he's pissed. He's like, what we're not going to do is have you out here making me look like a fool. He takes the liquor out of Dell's hand, put it down. And he's like, well, you tell me what you told him to tell her. Okay, you talk about you don't remember. You better tell your father right now, okay? It don't matter how old Dell get. When Lee told him, you better tell me, Dell felt that in his whole spirit. And he was like, well, what I told him to do, <laughs> he remembered immediately, okay? <laughs> so he's like, I told him just to scare her. And tell her that her marriage was evil. And so Jessica says, oh, because you wanted to get her to leave you. And Dell says, yeah, I couldn't do it myself. And I knew that she would believe that she needed to leave me if it came from Francesco. Since we saw his performance in San Francisco, she has kept at me to bring him to... Arizona for a private reading, I guess, or a private show at the very least. And that's why he was going to surprise her by bringing him there two birds with one stone, because he was also going to use Francesco to convince Jill to leave Dell and perfect worth the money that he spent. But that's not what happened. Okay. So Jessica is like, well, Let's break this down. The kidnappers knew the drop location very well. They knew that Lee had a million dollars in small bills on deck and could access them. And they knew when Jill left the house so that they could intercept her. And the lieutenant says, so you're saying it had to be someone close to the family. And Jessica says, very close, follow me. So she takes the lieutenant into Jill's room, 
Dell and Jill's room, wherever this was that she had found Francesco. And she pulls out the date book and she says, turn to April 18th, which was two days before the kidnapping. Uh, So the kidnapping would have been on Thursday night. Okay. Anyway. So yeah. So two days before the party, I take that back. April 18th was two days before the party. Now the kidnapping, so that would have been a Thursday night. The kidnapping took place on Saturday and then she died on Sunday. Okay. Now it says go to dentist. And Jessica is like, that's what I thought at first, but both the G and the O are capitalized. G-O to dentist, Greta Olson to dentist. And Jessica asks, are you still holding Francesco? And the lieutenant says, yes. So Jessica says, well, I believe if you release him, everything will become clear. The next scene, we're at the airport and uniformed police officers stop Francesco. And he's like, what's this about? I have to catch my flight. The lieutenant appears and he's like, I still have some more questions. Jessica and Lee are also there. And Francesco is t- turns to his wife, who's wearing a big blue floppy hat, but not a floppy hat like that, but like a stylish floppy hat. Yeah, like not at the beach, but yeah, it's fashionable. And she's wearing sunglasses inside. Okay, mm, suspicious. At the airport, suspicious. So he says, he hands the tickets for Hong Kong to his wife. And says, go on, honey. Jessica says, don't leave. Please don't leave, Jill. And the woman turns around. She has on a blonde wig, lowers her sunglasses, and she has those distinctive blue eyes. It is Jill in a ratty wig, sunglasses, and a hat. Okay. Mm. So the final scene, we're at the restaurant with Lee and Jessica. And Lee says, honestly, I thought it was Greta before she turned around. And Jessica says it was, everyone was supposed to think it was Greta. Jill had Greta's passport. And Lee says, oh, the body in the car? And Jessica says, yes, it was Greta. And he's like, well, how did you know that this was a setup that Jill wasn't dead and that it was Greta and this was a setup. And Jessica says, well, it was the choking on the toast. It had to be a coincidence or Jill had to be in on it. And then when Jessica realized that Jill had taken Greta to the dentist, that would have given her the opportunity to switch their dental records a form of identification for a badly burned body. And taking into consideration that her marriage to Dell was failing and Dell had no money because remember he lost his job and he's basically a farmhand for his father at this point. So a divorce would not be profitable by faking the kidnapping and killing Greta and pretending to be Greta and flying off with Francesco. She got to be with the man that she thought was the love of her life. 
They had a million dollars to spend and start a new life wherever. And she no longer had to be married to Dell. So Jill Goddard no longer existed. So she didn't have, she could start completely fresh and new in a life that she believed was better than the one she had as Jill Goddard. Lee brings up the fact that Jill did all the dirty work while Francesco stood in the living room creating the perfect alibi. Lee then goes into his concerns about Dell and him not having grown up and what is he going to do with him. And Jessica says, well, Dell may need to find his own way. You may, he's a grown man. He's in his thirties, clearly. He, he was able to get a job at an ad agency. He was living in Chicago. He was making his own way and he got fired for whatever reason, or he got laid off, you know, it may not have, well, if he got laid off, he would have got unemployment. So he would have had some money coming in, but he didn't have ad agency money. And Jill clearly wasn't out here modeling, bringing in thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So she didn't, she wasn't independently wealthy either. Lee was the one who had all the money. So they then changed subjects and Lee is like, well, you know, what about us? You know, maybe I could learn to like that fish salad you have there. And Jessica says, well, maybe I could learn to like chili and ribs. And Lee says, well, Betty had a good recipe. I could send it to you. And Jessica says, well, you know what? I'll let you know when I've gotten it just right. And I'll give you a call then. And Lee says, that's a call worth waiting for. And the scene and episode ends there. Now, you're going to tell me that these two people, okay, who clearly care for each other to some degree, are just going to go their separate ways. Because you know, this is, she definitely blew him off. Okay, talking about, oh, when I get the recipe right, I'll give you a call. Like, y'all are supposed to still be friends. Like, why aren't you like, hey, you know, I'm not ready to be in a relationship. I don't know if I'll ever be ready to be in a relationship like that. But you're friends with Seth. You're friends with Amos. You're friends with Mort. Okay, so you can have a platonic friend that's a man. Now, he is in a different state. So you don't have to worry about, oh, he already likes me like that, like that. So it could be uncomfortable. Y'all are just sending their letters and calling on the phone because he lives in a different state. So I don't understand why y'all can't be friends because you talking like, I ain't never going to call you. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll wait for that call to never come. Yeah, that's messed up. Not gonna lie, that's messed up. Like y'all could be friends. Y'all could be pen pals. Y'all could call and check in whatever, like, that's messed up. I'm gonna say, yeah, that's messed up. I don't like that we've been building this reconnection and I'm all in for this. And then it's like, ah, I'll call you never. I don't, as polite as that was, she still blew him off and I don't understand why. Okay, I could see if, 
they were both in the same state and lived close by. And you know, he has those type of feelings for you. But he said himself, like, there are widows and divorcees who are throwing themselves at him in Arizona, okay? He, he's just not looking for anything serious with any of them because his marriage with Betty was such that he knows that he can't replicate that or come anywhere close. So he, he's just a player in the street. So what... I don't know. I think she's missing out. Like she obviously has a very full life because we have seven more seasons and we're only like halfway through this season as it is. But I don't think she needed to drop him. That's messed up. Anyway, okay. That's that on that. Okay. (laughs) I wanted it to work for them. I think this was very cute. I like their dynamic. He, He wasn't creepy. He was just putting it on the table. He was like, you single, I'm single. We've known each other for decades. You know, we have really great marriages. So I know how to be a great husband. You know how to be a great wife. Like, I'm just saying, I got grown kids. So I ain't trying to have no kids, you know. So we ain't got to worry about that. Then you have the benefit of having grandkids. You know, I'm like, girl, but that that was not her ministry, I guess. So again, this was one of my favorites. I like the last flight of the Dixie Damsel. I like that one. But I prefer Prediction Murder, even though it's a sadder ending. I like the write-off into the sunset of the last flight of the Dixie Damsel. I don't like the blow off that happens at the end of Prediction Murder, but it is technically a two-parter question mark because it didn't have the same characters from the first one except for Lee and Jessica. So yeah, but a good one bittersweet ending, but a good episode overall. I don't know why I just liked it. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, next week we will be talking about something borrowed, someone blue. Okay. Grady and Donna are finally getting married. Okay. Love to love it. Love to see it. Love to know it. They are perfect for each other. The, well, we'll get to the trivia. I'm sure this will be part of the trivia next week. So I'll save it for that. But yeah, so mm, someone dies uh, by murder, of course, because Jessica's there. So that's going to happen. Um, but it's a wedding of Grady and Donna. So I am looking forward to reviewing that episode. It is not one of my favorites in the sense that I have it on DVR and I watch it multiple times, but it's a good watch. And I love that Grady has found the perfect better half. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Donna's a feisty one. She's already like had to be cleared from a murder charge. Okay. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. So, you know, perfect fit for the Fletcher family. Okay. <laughs> anyway, until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod page on Facebook Meta. And of course, you can find me on Patreon link in the description box. If you're not on it, get into it. It's fun. Okay. And there's going to be a watch along with me for the end of season five, but that's for Patreon members only. So get into it. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, until next week, Have an amazing week and I plan on doing the same and happy holidays to those who are celebrating whatever your holiday may be or just the month of December, winter, whatever it may be, enjoy every second of it. So until next time, have an amazing week and I promise I'll do the same. Bye.